Open uh, your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 12. Looking this morning at verses 9 through 13. It's a story about love, and it makes sense that it be about love because of what's come before it. If, if you just think about it for a minute, the last two messages uh, have been on spiritual gifts because God saves us, brings us His mercy, draws us to Himself. He then gifts us with spiritual gifts, which we looked at in uh, verses 3 uh, and following that. And then in verse 4, we looked at membership, that we are many members of one body. God has made us members. It makes sense. If you're going to talk about spiritual gifts, and then you're going to talk about church membership, that you would talk about love. Because the only way that we can use our spiritual gifts, the only way we can be effective members one of another, is that we are in love with Christ, His body, using the gifts as He would ask us to. Look at Ephesians, just before I get into Romans 12, get, look at Ephesians chapter 4, just for a quick reminder. Uh, because here in two verses, it's talking about our spiritual gifts and our membership in Ephesians as well. But here in two verses, uh, notice love is in both of them. Verse 15 and verse 16 of Ephesians 4. Um, speaking gifts, serving gifts, all mentioned here. He says in Ephesians 4.15, talking to the church, but speaking the truth in love, we, church members, are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Don't miss, I said speaking the truth, how? In love. Love is important, or the truth won't be received the way it should. Verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each member. Each member part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You will see that theme whenever you see spiritual gifts and membership in the Scripture. You have it in Ephesians. You have it in Romans. You have it in 1 Corinthians 12, and the other place gifts are mentioned is 1 Peter 4. You have it there that love goes with church membership. Goes, love goes with the use of our spiritual gifts. Uh, back in Romans, so he's just talked about those two things. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, so let love, and he begins to talk about love, let love among us be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Uh, you begin to see how it all goes together, beginning all the way back to verse 3, where it says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Well, why would you, why do we think much of ourselves? Because we have been particularly gifted by God to build up His bride. That's a, that's a significant appointment that God gives to His church members. And if we would just think about that, we would get the big head. And He said, don't get the big head. Bring it back down and love one another. 
I, would, I don't want you to think too highly of yourself. I don't want you to think your gift's better than somebody else's gift. I want you to contribute to one another's needs and really love one another. And I want to show it to you a different way. Suppose you were Jesus discipling 12 men. And one of the last things you tell these 12 disciples is, I want you to be known for your love. Let's look at it one more time. Look at John 13, 34 and 35. John 13. And you know, a lot of these disciples of Christ, you know, they, they were big, strong fishermen that were pushing boats around, paddling with their hands. They didn't have motorboats like we got, you know, and pulling up nets of fish. These were strong, burly men, that, for the most part, that Jesus is discipling them. And, and he says this to them just before he goes to the cross. He says, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I mean, it's like Jesus saying, hey guys, starting now, you're, you're church members. You've been particularly gifted by me. For love. You're going to be known for love. When the world looks at you, they are going to be looking at great lovers. Great lovers. That's a description of Christ's disciples. That's a description of the church. That we are people, when when. We have guests here this morning. They come in and they look and they see us take vows and they see us sing to one another and to each other. They see even the children brought in to love Jesus and us love the children. And they go, whoa, I'm in a room of lovers, great lovers, lovers of God and lovers of man. Um, and it's all embracing. It's all encompassing. No one seems to be lifting themselves higher than they ought. Everybody's just down together in love. That's a picture of the church that Christ left with his disciples. And he says, by that picture, the world, that's evangelism. The world will stand and take notice of Christ. Because the world sees the fruit of the work of Christ. Many times I've had people come, you know, as a guest of the church, and they meet me first a lot of times, and they said, uh, I said, you know, have you given any thought to how to evaluate a church? And a lot of times they'll say, well, I just, I'm just looking for good preaching. I said, you ought to really look in the pews instead of in the pulpit. What's the fruit of the preaching? Don't you judge a tree by its fruit? And the fruit should be a body of Christ that loves one another. That we're hearing the word of God, and the word of God is transforming us to be great lovers. So that's why I call the message what I did this morning. When you look at Romans chapter 7, excuse me, chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, you see... Seven characteristics, or I've bunched them together into seven characteristics of great lovers. Let's 
just keep sharpening ourselves to be those great lovers that God has called us to be. As we look at these characteristics, He admonishes us to have, to focus on this morning. The first one, let's live, great lovers live without hypocrisy. Great lovers live without hypocrisy. Verse 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy. Uh, this in our culture would be, let's make it real. Let's keep it real. Let's keep it genuine. Let's keep it consistent with truth. Hypocrisy is saying one thing, doing another. Let's keep it real. Let's, let's do what we say. Let's say what we mean. Let's keep it genuine is what God is asking. A love that um, is known for its faithfulness to truth, not lying. Um, how many of us have grown up, you know, to find out years down the road we've been loved through adoption or that our folks have had a previous marriage before this one or that Santa Claus really doesn't know whether we're naughty or nice. There's times when we say, you've been, you've been lying to me? What? When, when we are drawn to Christ, we're drawn in. Lying should go out. Lying goes out the window. And we don't have to deceive anymore. We are ambassadors of the one who said, I am the truth. The way, the truth, the life. And he enjoys truth, not deceiving, not saying one thing and doing another. Uh, we need to be those who are big on always sharing the truth. Because when you've got the truth, you can trust. We can trust one another when we can depend upon their words to be what they're going to do. They're going to follow it. They're going to follow up whatever they say with truthful actions. I mean, when I think about when we take church vows, we took a vow this morning to encourage, admonish the pistols and raising their children for Christ. They took vows to raise their children for Christ. The only other vows we take really are church membership vows. We, we vow four times in our church membership that we are a sinner. We need Christ. Christ is our only hope. And then the third vow is that we're going to live as Christians. And the fourth vow is we're going to care about the church. We are the church that's ruled by elders. And there are people who come into New Covenant Church and they say, wow, this place is serious. Because they see most people keep those vows. It's, it's a love without hypocrisy. It's, it's a genuineness that we, we take those seriously intending to keep them to the best of our ability as, as we are enabled by the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's a genuine love that's transforming. And I, I'm just thankful to be in such a family, the family of God, where it's a love without hypocrisy. Um, great lovers say what they mean. They mean what they say. It produces greater joy, greater life, greater trust. The list goes on. Let's see another characteristic. Great lovers not only live without hypocrisy, but great lovers passionately distinguish evil and good. Great lovers passionately 
distinguish evil and good. Uh, in verse 9, you see the phrase, last section of it, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, the word abhor and the word cling, in my opinion, are passionate words. Right? That's where I get the passionately from. You don't just, well, that's not so good. No, you passionately abhor it because it's not good. It's a strong word. And you don't just say, well, I, I kind of want to do the good, right thing, the good thing. No, you cling to it. It's, it's, it's a stronger term. And great lovers get the difference between good and evil. And they abhor evil. And they cling to what is good. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I have a harder time learning to hate. I, I just, I wasn't ever taught anywhere at home, in school, in seminary. I don't think anybody ever taught me a good doctrine of hate. And I need to develop, even to this day, a passion to be against certain things, to hate them, hate evil, abhor it. I'll break that down for you, man. But let me let me just read a horrible description of the non-Christian. Look at Psalm 36. I'm just going to read the first four verses. This description will play into this. Psalm 36. First four verses says, Transgress, transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. You know, we all have this little voice inside. The non-Christian does too, and this little voice is, is the voice of sin, transgression, breaking God's law. And that voice in the non-Christian says, enjoy that, go for it. There's pleasures in sin. That's kind of the description here. It says, there's no fear of God before his eyes. So the non-Christian's hearing this voice, ah, don't worry about God. We all go someplace, but yeah, don't worry about it. You know, don't worry about God. Keeps on with the description. Verse 2, it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that's not good. And then catch this last phrase. He does not despise evil or if you've got the ESV which we're headed towards it says does not reject evil think about that one of the big problems in the non-christian world is their inability to abhor evil one of the characteristics of great lovers is that they abhor evil Right? See the big difference? The non-believer really can't be a great lover. Here's one reason. Because they have no ability to reject and despise and abhor what is evil. They, don't, they flatter themselves that they don't even need to know what is good and what is bad. They don't need to know God's laws of righteousness. They don't need to know God's commands. And so they 
They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. They don't know what's good. They don't know what's evil. And when they don't know, you don't distinguish the two. You can't abhor one and like the other. I grew up singing a song that I used to like to sing. If loving you is wrong, you know the phrase? I don't want to be right. Yeah, see, it's popular. What's, what's the author of that text saying? If loving you is adultery, then I don't want to be faithful. I want adultery. If loving you is evil, I don't want what's good. I want what's evil. And we've got to break that down and say, no. Great lovers abhor what is evil. How many of you mates have, have struggled to tell your spouse that you really love them because they know you're still addicted to pornography and you've not gotten to the place, you haven't even developed the thoughts yet. I not only need to turn away from what's evil, I need to abhor it. It needs to become distasteful to me because it's destroying my marriage and my life. Or you haven't learned to abhor a lust for sex outside of marriage. You're still playing with it in your mind like the non-Christian. Great lovers abhor the evil so they can be faithful, true lovers without hypocrisy. You see how important it is. We can't just know what's good and bad. We've got to cling to one and abhor the other. Because that's what develops us to be great lovers. So start making a list what you need to abhor, what you need to cling to, what's good and right and faithful and righteous. And see, then you have to come up with a standard, right? What's the standard between of good and evil? And the standard's God's word. The standard's God's law. His righteousness. His way. In other words, we can't come up with our own list of things, and sometimes we do that. We can't call, God says, I, I, God says he abhors those who call evil good and good evil. We can't do that. We can't start making a list and say, well, that kind of dress is, is evil, or that kind of size is evil, or that kind of music is evil, or that kind of drink is evil, if it's not what God says. And a lot of people have gone that direction. Started coming up with their own standard of what's good and evil. We've seen it in uh, the COVID world. There's, there's plenty who want to make a standard for masks and vaccinations and protocols or whatever. And they said, because we're following the science, the science replaces the law of God. No, it doesn't. Nothing trumps the word of God. You got to come back to the Word of God and say, This is the standard. It doesn't mean that vaccinations and masks and all that stuff's bad. It just doesn't trump the Word of God. And so we got people condemning people and judging people for wearing them or not wearing them or whatever and say, What does the Word of God say? Because part of what we have to learn to hate is those who are creating a standard other than the Word of God. We must abhor what's evil and cling to what is good. And that develops us into great lovers that can be depended upon. 
Because I know my lover has a standard that's inerrant and infallible. It's the word of God. It's God's truth. And not only does he hold to that, but he rejects that which is evil. He abhors it. Um, what do we refuse to abhor? Evaluate your own heart. Have you developed a good doctrine of hatred for evil? I mean, we've we got to be careful what we watch these days, don't we? Because so much media consumption, we find ourselves tolerating. Tolerating what's evil. Because it's hard to get media consumption and not get a picture of evil in front of you. No matter what the, the medium or device you're on or whatever. We've got to be careful. Or we find ourselves quickly tolerating what's evil instead of abhorring. We're not going to be great lovers with a wishy-washy view on good and evil. Good lovers, great lovers, passionately distinguish evil and good. Well, we could go a long time on that. Let's move to the third category. Great lovers are those who devote themselves, devote themselves to being brotherly. Now, some of you are going to struggle with this one because it says here, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And you looked at your brother and your brother looked at you and said, I, nah, I'm not seeing it. You know, where, where's the love? Where's the affection? Obviously, what's implied here is a biblical brother, a Christian brother, brotherliness as Christ would define it and describe it. And there is something we all get, and that is blood relatives. There is this depth of connection that we get with blood relatives over other relatives. So let's, let's kind of take that into this, that there's, there's an affection, there's a connection uh, that of, of love that I would give to my brother that I might not give to others. A, a, a quickness to die for family that you might not be as quick to die for others. And God is saying, I want you to have that kind of affection for one another. That kind of brotherly connection, that blood-bought connection, because now you are one family. You are the household of God. You're brethren. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that matters. And the love you have should demonstrate that that's the connection that you have. That's the kind of connection God wants us to have uh, when we assemble together. I mean, we... We, we assemble together as family. So we encourage one another. We sing together. We uh, give together. We take vows together. We greet one another with a holy kiss. I mean, all of this is a picture of brotherly love. And that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us just to come in and sit down and be stale and sterile or Whatever, it's, 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 it's an affection, a brotherly affection that we're glad to see our family and uh, spend time and minister with them. Number four, great lovers give preference to others with honor. The last part of verse 10 says, give preference to one another in honor. That's great lovers. Um, Christians are where you learn how to, to, to open doors and to give up seats and 
to see what the person beside you needs before you take care of your own needs. That's giving preference to others, uh, being respectful, especially when they are family. Philippians 2, verse uh, 3, this whole chapter is just great on this subject. But let me just read one verse of it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, uh, let me back up. Verse 3, do, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Same attitude that Christ had. Um, that's what God says great lovers do. We are those who give preference to others with honor. Um, Family has great value. Uh, when you serve somebody else, when you give somebody preference, you're saying you have great value. Let me get the door for you. Let me get the seat for you. Let me give up my spot for yours. You have greater value. And God wants us doing that, giving preference, preferring someone else ahead of ourselves. How often should we do that? Well, we know Luke 9.23, if we're going to follow after Christ, we're going to deny ourselves daily daily denial so that we can take care of the needs and ministries of others that's what god wants us to do how do we treat people sometimes we treat people small god doesn't want that don't treat people small treat people with value give them preference exalt them above yourself give them value in how you treat them that's what great lovers do they're good at building up someone else um, I got a it's, great illustration of this is a, a dumpster diving story. How many of y'all have been dumpster diving? You know, when you go to the convenience center and you've got to dump off your trash. Well, this mother was dumping off her trash and uh, she had a, a bag of hand-me-down clothes because she was a young mother and you know how some of you mothers pass your clothes on to the next mother for your kids and she inadvertently threw that bag in because it was with her other trash. And, uh, and she realized, oh, no, that's, those aren't my clothes. i got to get them back out to, to give back. And so the dumpster was practically empty, you know, so it's all the way down at the bottom. And she couldn't reach it. But she had a young son in the car. She said, I know what I'll do. So she lowered him down into the dumpster. And he was able to pick up the bag of clothes and, and bring them back. But what she didn't think of is that now the, the sun weighs a lot more, right? And so she reaches down to pull the sun and can't get him out. There's a daughter in the car, a little bit older daughter, a high schooler. says, come help me pull your brother out. And that daughter gets down in the floor of the car said, no way. We're right across the street from the high school, and I will not be seen diving into that dumpster. The daughter was not a great lover. Not a great, not yet. Because that would require self-denial. It would require preferring her brother over herself. And many times we think about our image, ourselves first, instead of thinking how are we going to Take care of, minister to others. Don't treat people small. Treat them with value. That's, 
that brotherly affection God wants us to have that gives preference to others. Number five, great lovers diligently serve. Verse 11 says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Um, it's, just, it's just a characteristic that we are available to serve one another. Um, so many great examples of that in this church. People who just jump up and ready to go, ready to serve, ready to take care of others first. And God says, don't, don't lag behind that person. One of the rules I made in, in our household uh, as the kids were growing up, I said, I don't want to see family members sitting down when uh, one other member is up doing all the work. If somebody's up working, let's diligently get up and help serve one another. And you, you will sometimes go into a room, it's like only one person's serving. And God says, not, that's not my great lovers. Great lovers get up to serve one another. We have serving gifts. We've been built for serving one another in love. He said, be diligent about that. We need to do it. We need to feel like, you know, a lot of times we say, well, I, I just don't feel like it right now. I'm not in the root mood right now. He's not talking about how you feel. Get up and do it. Don't lag behind. Most of us don't feel like getting up after we've sat down. Get up. Serve one another. Be diligent. Work through those feelings. That's what great lovers do. Um, number six, great lovers rejoice, hopefully, even in hard times, through devotion to prayer. A lot there, and I was trying to put it all in a phrase. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. So great lovers rejoice, hopefully, even in hard times, through devotion to prayer. Uh, great lovers are rejoicing. They are thankful. Uh, and they are always hopeful. I like to think of it about like, like a farmer planting a seed. When the farmer plants a seed, he has good hope. What's his hope in? His hope's in God, that God will now do his part. Because you can't make the seed grow. All you can do is plant it. You can change the soil. You can make sure it's got water. But you still can't make it grow. God's got to grow the seed. And so you plant it the best you can in good hope, and you hope. And if you've got any sense at all, you pray that God will do His part. Because if God doesn't do His part, it's not going to grow. And that's what I think is characteristic of great lovers, is that we're focused on taking care of someone else and ministering to their needs. And as we're focused... We're hopeful that they're going to grow and that God's going to use us to grow them. And because that's our hope, we're devoted to prayer. And what is prayer? A devotion to prayer is a life that you are constantly asking God to show up. God, I need you. God, this can't happen without you. God, please do this, do that. A devotion to prayer is a constant acknowledgement that life is lived best with God. God must always be in my life, in the picture. 
And many of you who've hung out with me for any length of time and we're trying to evaluate something, you've heard me say a hundred times, well, where's God in this picture? Because that's my focus, is where is God? Does God show up if we do it this way or if we do it that way? We must be devoted to a life lived with God. How often are we to pray? The scripture says pray without ceasing. This is constant conversation between God and me going on all the time. That's a devotion to prayer. And we need to have that devotion. And that devotion enables us to be great lovers. Because the author, creator, sustainer, giver of love is God. If you're in a relationship and you don't want God to show up, it's not a loving relationship already. Get out. Great lovers have God in the picture. We're devoted to having God in the picture. And we want God working in and through our lives. And we know He's only going to do that which is holy and righteous and good. But He's going to do it with a passion to love, even to love sinners, because God does that so wonderfully. When you think about hope, look back at chapter 8, just quickly. Romans 8, verse 18, says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Apostle Paul saying, yeah, this is hard right now. But when I compare it to the glory that we are going to get in Christ, I've got hope. And my hope is the best is yet to come. There, there's, there's more that's good and beautiful and wonderful. And it's with that thought in mind that he gets to Romans 8.28, which you probably got memorized. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So, we have hope that we can endure, even through hard times. Remember, that was one of our characteristics. Rejoicing, hopefully, even in hard times. Because God's going to be in it, and He's going to take us to better places. And He's going to work all things together, even the hard times, for our good you're a great lover. If even through the hard times it gets better, life becomes good and better. And the reason it's good and better, even through the hard times, is because God's in it. Because you're devoted to having God in it through prayer. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is another great passage I haven't used in a long time. Let me just remind you of it real quick. Um, Verse maybe 16 through 18, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, well, he said, we don't lose heart. I love that. I don't lose hope. How, how do you live a life without losing hope? He says, but through, though our outer man is decaying and our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. For while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Great lovers have a focus on God, devoted to prayer. 
And even though we go through tough times, we realize by focusing on what the world doesn't see, God and His work through the hard stuff, it's mounting up for us an eternal weight. Glory here is used in the sense of value value and significance beyond comparison. And keeping my mind fixed on that, that enables me to keep doing the hard stuff when you're weary and wore out. And that makes you a great lover because you're still doing the good stuff and it's producing good stuff. Great. You can see over and over how, you know, when Christians and non-Christians come to me together and say, we want to get married or whatever, I said, y'all don't have the same value system. One of you can be a great lover and the other can't. Do you understand the difference, the huge difference between a life devoted to God and where it's taking you and one that's not and understand what it means to be equally wed together. Think through this. Great lover characteristics that God gives His church. And then the seventh one, verse 13, just generously hospitable. It says, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Great lovers see needs and we meet them. We do what we can. We're generous. We want to be greeters. We want to be hospitable. We want to welcome people into the church, into God's kingdom because we've been welcomed. And we know we're undeserving and we want others to have that. So we are contributing to the needs. And here particularly contributing to the needs of the saints. We love one another. And we're not bashful about loving one another because the one another is Christ's bride, the church. That entity which goes into heaven and to glory, that's the group that God, the Son presents to God the Father without spot and without blemish, His wonderful bride. So to contribute to that, that's pretty significant. And that's what God lets us do uh, as great lovers. You know, Jesus washed the disciples' feet That was a pretty generously hospitable act. That's what I mean by the term. When he washed the disciples' feet, you can look it up in John 13, it was at the end of the day, so it was the evening meal. They had been walking. They typically had sandals, no socks. So they got, you know, pretty grimy feet at this point. Have you ever, uh, you know, gotten so sweaty and dirty doing anything that you... Somebody says, well, supper's ready. And you say, can I get a a shower first? You know, because I just feel icky, you know. Well, that's where the disciples were. They they were in that state. And everybody's kind of looking around, you know. "Ah, I don't feel good. We've got to eat. Jesus stands up. Pours the water. Starts washing feet. I mean, nobody else was in the mood for it, in doing it. Everybody else needed it. And Jesus says, I want you to learn. I just gave you an example here. I gave you an example of a great lover. And I want you to be a great lover. And it's the end of that chapter where he says, I want you to be known for your love. And the example of that great love 
was washing feet generously. I'm going to wash 12 people's feet. 24 stinking feet, right? And then I'm, and I'm already tired. I've been walking all day. And then we're going to sit down, and then we're going to eat. And God said, I want a church that gets that example. And even when you're tired and weary, that you look at others and you want to minister to their needs. You want to greet them the way they should be greeted. And so when the church got saved, I'm out of time, but Acts 2, 42 through 47, when the church got saved, it says they were devoted to meeting together to hearing the word of God, to praying, to doing the Lord's Supper. And they were devoted to meeting in house to house. They were opening up their homes. They were being hospitable. They were giving whatever was needed to give to others. Generous hospitality. Characteristic of God's church. It's a characteristic of God. Great lovers. I want all of us to be great lovers. Don't be bad lovers. Be great lovers. You can't be a great lover until you trust Christ. If you haven't trusted Christ to be the one who manages you, your Lord, the one who saves you, takes that evil, that sin from you, then you can't be a great lover. So trust Christ. And then as one who's trusted Christ, follow him. And be a great lover. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the great privilege to be yours. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. For those who need faith in you this morning, grant it, we ask. We plead for it. And those of us who've been slack in our followership of you, Father, hear this morning our repentance. Hear us turn from sin. And turn again to you. We ask that you would take away our slowness at abhorring evil and clinging to what is good. Take away all the obstructions that are keeping us from being great lovers. Being known as the disciples of Christ. His church. Gifted particularly. For ministry. And for mounting up a weight of glory. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for how your word constantly directs and guides. Sharpen us now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.